0: And definitely check out those shows as well. I hope you'll all check out the all new Zibby Mag, Z-I-B-B-Y-M-A-G, the literary lifestyle destination with essays, book news, a lit lifestyle feature, and even some classes. Check it out, zibbymag.com. Eve Carlin is the author of Track 61. She is also the author of City of Liars and Thieves, which was published by Alibi, a digital imprint of Random House, in January of 2015. Track 61 was inspired by the Nazi saboteur landing on Long Island in the summer of 1942. Eve lives in East Hampton, New York, with her husband and triplets, and is a bookseller at Bookhampton, where she runs the book club and the local author program. Welcome, Eve. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Track 61.
2: Thank you for having me, and thank you for welcoming me into your beautiful home.
0: No, it's so nice to do something in person after yeah, so long, Yeah, especially out here in the summer. It's so fun. This is, uh, you know, I'm saying I used to do it like this all the time, and now it's like...
2: Yeah, it's nice to look someone in the eye as right? opposed to a computer
0: screen. I know. There must <laughs> be some benefit, right, to <laughs> being away I, from screens. I think so. <laughs> okay, track 61. Tell listeners, please, what your book is about and what
2: inspired you to write it. Um, my book is historical fiction. It is based on a true event, the Nazi saboteur landing in Amagansett, New York, which happened in the summer of 1942, 80 years ago, this past summer. I grew up in Amagansett, so I'd always known about this outrageous story of four Nazis disembarking a U boat off the coast of Amagansett, a summer community. And as I started to look into Grand Central, which also really interested me and some of the history there, a beautiful site in Manhattan, I found this connection that really inspired me.
0: Wow. And you also... Weave in the story of not Greta. How do you pronounce it? Greta, Greta. Greta even though there's an e. Okay, so Greta meets Peter Berger early in your story, and she is watching this parade, which sounded crazy. Can yeah. you describe the parade? Did that actually happen? Yeah,
2: that parade happened. And when I do talks, I actually show the footage from the parade. It was the largest military parade in U.S. history, and there are about two million spectators. LaGuardia was there, the mayor of New York at the time. It's amazing. The floats are amazing to look at, and also the patriotism at the time in New York. Um, marched up Fifth Avenue. And this is 1942. 42, six months after the U.S. entered the war. Oh, my gosh.
0: But then there was like swastikas on the...
2: I know. Right? There's one, there's one float that I find particularly amazing. And it kind of has a Norseman plunging a sword into a swastika. There's also the rising sun and whatever the symbol was for Italy and fascism there. Yeah. yeah, but it was kind of a bizarre sight.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might have skipped Fifth Avenue that day if I was living there at the
2: time. <laughs> oh, well, there were so many people out. So it seemed like the perfect opportunity to create this kind of fictionalized event. Yes. For a real-life character based on Peter Berger, who was actually at the parade that day, who arrived in Manhattan, took the train with his three co-saboteurs into New York City, arrived in New York City, saw the parade, and I fictionalized a meeting for a character who was loosely based on my grandmother to meet meet Peter at this parade. Wow.
0: And he kind of like touches her or she, she looks at her mm, kind of in, mm, you know, mm. interest not intrusively, that's the wrong word, maybe like borderline inappropriately, but then they recognize something in each other. Right. So t- did your grandmother meet somebody at Afraid ever?
2: <laughs> Perhaps. Maybe? She was very outgoing, <laughs> um, <laughs> but not not him, not there. But they felt this connection. Right, right, right. I think that, you know, it was really great to be able to weave my personal story into this or my grandmother's story. And so she, she I know as an immigrant to this country, kind of felt like an outsider. She was very popular and outgoing in Germany. And she, you know, like so many others had her life uprooted. So I think that she sensed this other characters outsideness mm-hmm. and that they bonded. That is the premise for the book. Interesting. And in the book, you gave the backstory of Greta
0: and how her family thought about moving. They knew about, like they could sense what was going on in Germany. but So then, many others. Right. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, that's actually factual as well. So mm-hmm. that's true.
0: So that's factual as well. Interesting. Okay, so they're at the parade and not only does she meet Peter, but he's like, I have to make a pit stop at Grand Central with my friend George. Right. And then you find out that what they're doing, they're like up to no good essentially in Grand Central. But she doesn't know this at first. So yeah. talk about that whole subplot and how this becomes like the basis of the whole story.
2: Well, the truth of the matter is that, or at least most people believe that the target of the saboteurs was Grand Central yep. and a secret sub-basement, which still exists, called M42, which housed rotary converters that supplied power to trains that was were running up and down the East Coast. And it would have taken very, very little to sabotage that power station. And had they succeeded, trains, troop supply would have stopped, as well as the power from there also supplied power plants that built aluminum, which built airplanes. And if those electrolyte baths had been stopped, the aluminum baths would have frozen. And it really would have been detrimental to the war effort. So M-42 was most likely one of the targets, When I started to look into Grand Central, I also noticed or saw this track called, a kind of abandoned rail track called Track 61 that FDR often used or used during the war to come to the city for security and also to hide his disability. So it seemed like a really logical kind of target.
0: so crazy that there was a private way into the city. There still is. There still is. Yeah.
2: I mean... When one of the questions someone asked me, and I was like, ah, good question, was when was the last time this track was used? And from what I can gather, it was shortly after 9 11 when Bush and Condoleezza Rice from the US General Assembly, it's a potential escape route from the city. From the UN? Yeah, well, from Grand Central, but had they been at the UN General Assembly, it potentially could have escaped. By a, um, I don't era, know. There's
0: so much traffic. at the oh. UN assembly, I don't know how they would even <laughs> they get to Grand Central. They never would have even gotten to Lexington no, I mean, Avenue. I don't think so. I think that would have been like, forget about Good it. Good point. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I was like, ooh, there's an escape route from the UN. <laughs> like That that would be a, an interesting route. But um Interesting. So this place ten stories underground still supplies powered all these places um, or it, not?
2: It's no longer in no. okay. operation. Right. Although the pictures are kind of awesome and they do remind me of Stranger Things. Yeah. Oh
0: my gosh. Crazy. So okay, let's go back to so you discovered the story being an Amaganza resident and knowing the history of this. Mm-hmm. Then you have your grandmother, but now why write a whole book about it? Like, where did you, tell us your background and how you came into writing a novel, historical novel
2: to begin with. Well, this is my second and my first was kind of like an eerie, really eerie connection. It's about a well that still exists on Spring Street in New York City, a well in which a young woman's body was found in 1800. And the man accused of murdering her was defended by Hamilton and Burr, working together in the only criminal case that they ever worked together on. I had lived across the street from that well when I was young, and I had been the same age as the murder victim when I lived there. That was, you know, 200 years after the fact. But I was so amazed by all these connections. Yep. Like when I looked into Hamilton and Burr, there's a restaurant in New York called One it By Land where my husband actually proposed to me. Oh. And it used to be Burr's Carriage House. And wow. so it's just like, and so I felt like there are all these stories that surround all of us. So I was searching for another one. And I one of the places I looked was Grand Central because I love Grand Central. And when I found this connection to the men who landed virtually in front of the house where I grew up in Amagansett, I knew I had like that personal connection to the story.
0: So what do you do once you have these ideas? You just
2: dive right into research or tell me your process? I do. I, I look to see what's, what's been written on the subject. And as far as I know, this is the only historical novel. There are nonfiction books. There's also a 3,000-page transcript from the Saboteur's Military Tribunal, which was released in the 60s. So I read through that. I mean, the research is fun. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little repetitive, but yeah. And after a while, I stopped printing because it was just too much pages. But it was, it's actually really interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: And then you just die, you create the characters and off you go. It's
2: basically how you do it. I yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I thought about it and I thought, oh, where, where's the conflict? You know, yeah, you kind yeah. of want a conflict in the story. And I thought about, oh, gee, there's my grandmother watching my sister and I on this beach. It seemed like the conflict of her as a German Jew meeting someone who she thinks is an ally and then discovering yeah. what something about him seemed really like a good conflict. And the more I looked into it, the more interesting the conflict became because Peter Berger is just a really interesting character. He too. Yeah. He was born on the wrong side of history basically. Mm-hmm. So who can say what one does when put in those shoes? You never really know. That's
0: true. Wow. You also have a line in there when Greta was introducing herself, I think this is when it was, and she said she was German Jewish. And someone said,
2: I didn't know you could be German and Jewish. Yeah. 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 That's Definitely something my grandmother experienced. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I am part German
0: Jewish. So I feel like there's so many German Jewish people, but I guess fewer than.
2: Well, I think when she came to this country, obviously there were a lot of German Americans at the time. Yeah. But, you know, it was definitely different in the early 40s. Wow. So
0: in addition to your. Writing career. You're a bookseller at Bookhampton. Ooh, yeah. Tell me about that. And when did you start doing that and how long? And- well,
2: I was related to your podcast. Moms don't have time to read or even choose a book. That's why I listen to the podcast <laughs> because it helps me curate what I'm going to read. <laughs> and so I have triplets. And when they went off to college, I decided, well, I was living near the bookstore and I had worked in publishing. So it seemed, you know, they were advertising and I said, oh, well, that sounds great. I'd love to, you know, be involved with books again.
0: So it's always like been a dream of mine to have a bookstore or something mm-hmm. like that. What is it actually like day-to-day working in a bookstore? Is it as great as it seems or like what, it, what, what would we not know from the outside?
2: Well, I think this community is a bit, you know, odd because it's such a summer community with so many different types of people. There are lots of really, really great things. I mean, Every day when you open up boxes and see the books, it's like Christmas. You yeah. know, what's yep. coming in, what to read. There's so much to read. So I think in general, it's really, really great. That said, retail has its own, you know, challenges. But it's always, it's been wonderful, actually. It's it's a really great and interesting place to work. And how
0: much do you enjoy chatting with like, how much time do you spend like on the floor, like chatting with the customers and recommending books versus mm-hmm. behind the counter? I know this is like ultra specific, but I'm like really curious. A about lot the... of time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the season, but right now I think people appreciate, you know, the hand sell and when it comes to books and people like to chat about books yeah. and that's definitely the most wonderful part of the job.
0: So nice. Amazing.
1: Cool fact! A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com.
0: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Do you have any... Part in
2: acquiring the books or do you get visibility into that process or? Visibility meaning, yeah. I mean, at one point I worked for Random House okay. and I was a sales rep and my territory was down South. So I do really understand the process, yep. which of course has evolved a lot since I was a sales rep, yep. but no, do I, do I buy? Am I frontless buyer? No, I'm not.
0: So let's go back. You were born in Amagansett. You lived in Spring Street Oh, yeah. What happened between then and working
2: <laughs> as a sales associate? I worked in publishing for many years. Okay. Doing, what did you, where did you? Um, I worked in sales at Random House. Mm-hmm. I moved down south for a bit for Random House as a sales rep. I met my husband. We came back to New York. Ba blah, blah 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 blah. We had triplets. I left publishing to raise the three of them. And now they are more or less on their own. Oh They're 24. Triplets. You have four kids. Yeah, I know, but still, all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they're again pros and cons, right? Because right, yeah. they all have the same level yeah. of interest, more or less. So you know, you're dealing with the same books, the same potty training, the same this and that.
0: Are they the same? Are they the same gender? Rather,
2: two boys and a girl. Two boys
0: and a girl. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, you have twins, right? I know. I <laughs> you know. Can I really do. get there. I know. I know. Just one more, but that's like when people are like. Isn't really that much harder having four than three? And I'm like, it's another person. I know. <laughs> it's a whole other person. Yeah. Another kid. Yeah.
2: Like More a, tuition, another meal, another doctor's <laughs> appointment.
0: It's like, you know, my last kid, I like realized I had forgotten all his checkups oh. <laughs> for months. And I was like, wait a minute. Wasn't I supposed to go like every month when he's baby? And, you know, but he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, th- you know, he might be better for it. <laughs> you know, he, he is. He's so chill. It's, it's, uh, he can go anywhere. It's, Like, I wish I was a fourth child, maybe then I'd...
2: Uh, You know, again, yeah, I think there's a lot... That's the problem with having three first children. But I think it's good too, because, you know, pacifier falls in the dirt, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Stick back in.
0: And were you able to read at all? Like, did you read when you had it?
2: Yeah, I did a lot of things because I think it was like, gotta go, I'm running the marathon, (laughs) gotta train. (laughs) Did you really run the marathon? Yeah. Oh my gosh, good for you. Because it was like private time. Yeah,
0: there has to be some escape. Right. I just saw this tote bag. I was at this store and on the shelf there was this huge bag and hu- in huge bold letters it just said escape. And I was like, why am I so drawn to this tote bag? Like I, I don't need another <laughs> tote I bag. Can pack all these things <laughs> it. was just the idea. Like what does that mean? What would I put in to really help me escape? Would it be books? Would it be like, I don't know.
1: Could oh, I actually books. escape? Anyway.
2: Yeah, maybe I should go back and buy books it. Books are wonderful, obviously, you know, and they're uh, were fabulous to get away from the day to day.
0: So what kind, of, what kind of books do you like to read?
2: I gravitate towards fiction or memoir. I really enjoyed your memoir so much. Oh, thank you. And I really love Princess Charming. Thank That's you. That's so cute. <laughs> it was. Re- it's really cute. Thanks. So yeah, I mean, I do run the book club and I think tends to be on the more literary side of fiction. Yeah.
0: So what have you read lately? If you, any other books?
2: I am just rereading because we're discussing it for our book club, A French Writer. She's named Valerie Perrin, if I'm pronouncing. She wrote Fresh Water for Flowers. Okay. She's a yes. beautiful Wait, book. Wait, somebody was just raving about this book. Uh, the raving. new one is
0: called Three. No, it was the Fresh the Water for one. Flowers. Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah, there's a lot to rave about. It's a really, um, it's a terrific book. All right. And the new one she has, yep. which we will be discussing in our book club, is Three, which is also really interesting. And do you get to pick the books for the book club? I do. Which is a lot like choosing a meal for like 10 people or 12 people and saying, everyone will eat this. Yeah. So, you know. That does not
0: go over well here. Some people (laughs) are vegetarians. I was going to say, that is like the (laughs) hardest thing.
2: It's probably harder to
0: do a meal for 10 people these days than a book. It's very hard. What You've been in publishing forever in one way, shape, or form. If you could like change a few things, like what do you think Mm. needs changing?
2: Oh. (laughs) Think that You know, I always think publishers are a bit like Monday morning quarterbacks. You know, there are trends, and that's terrific. But I think people need to trust their gut a little bit more in what they acquire and not be so concerned with what, you know, how to present it, where it will be shelved. Mm-hmm. Oh, this book is a bit of an outlier. I don't know where we're going to put it, where it fits. So I, I would like to think that people would be just a little bit more, mm, put themselves out and more what they purchase, what they buy, what they're willing to represent. It, you know, publishing, it's, it's a hard business. I was just having
0: a whole call this morning with my publisher about all these different things that we're doing. And I'm like, so you think we're ever going to make any money <laughs> doing this? because like, I'm like, if you sell a book, I mean, how? There, anyway, I mean, yes, if it grows and grows, but it's hard.
2: Well, yeah, I don't even, I mean, just getting your book out there is really, really hard. I see when, and really, I mean, I I like to think I've seen the publishing process from, you know, gee, editorial, acquiring a book, sales, selling the book, both from the publisher side, and now from an independent bookstore. So many books come in. How do you, how do you distinguish that book? The worst part of my job is returns. Mm -hmm. When you have to send a book that hasn't sold back to the publisher and you think, gee, this author works so hard. They really deserve to be placed here, regardless of the book. You know, uh, writing a book is really an effort of love.
1: Yep.
2: So what,
0: I mean, I feel like discoverability is so hard. And even in Bookhampton, which
2: has the best
0: books, you know, it's hard. I mean, some like how how do you, what do you do if you are one of those authors? Like, what if you have like, you're lucky to get into a bookstore, right? And you have one book on a Mm -hmm. high shelf. Like, what can you do as an author? Like I, the advice I got when I did like my first anthology was like, no, 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 do not talk to bookstores. Like, don't go in, don't do anything, (laughs) leave them alone. They're already overwhelmed. If every author came in,
2: they would, you know. It is their business. But I mean, I have to say, (laughs) and you've been so, so lovely, you get your voice out there with a wonderful person like you who speaks to so many authors and they're doing, it do so much for them. I've learned so much from listening to your podcast about individual authors and not just about their book, but about the process. So I think it's fabulous. So that's one way, you know, booksellers, are they overwhelmed? Sure. Taking a book reads, it, reading a book takes like what, three, four or five days, maybe longer. So it's a lot, it's an investment in your time, but you know, you, it's the reason why we write, it's the reason why we read, and it's the reason why we love it. So I think that, you know, it, it's, it's really worthwhile. It's hard to get your voice out there, but I think you have to keep on plugging at it. Yeah. I, ho- I like to think. I feel like the people who write, and you probably relate to this, it's like you, you have to do it,
0: isn't it? Right? Like yes. Publ- some-
2: uh, do publicity? Not necessarily, right? No, yes. not, not
0: publicity. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean the urge to do it because mm-hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. always make sense. Right? Oh, it makes no
2: sense, <laughs> especially for a novel. I mean- Uh, You know, nonfiction you can sell on Proposal, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Fiction, it's just, you know, it's a leap of faith. Yeah. I think for for many, many people, but you've, you know, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. People who love books are, are good people. Yes, so I just did this book
0: fair in in LA, and somebody was like, "Are you having any security?" I'm like, "Who's gonna like come rob a book fair?" Do you know what I mean? Do you mean know, like, <laughs> or even a bookstore, or even a bookstore? I mean, maybe there's Balenciaga um, in it. right? Yeah. They're bigger targets. They're bigger targets. I'm not that worried. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but you know, I mean, great. You want to sell? You want to steal a book and read it? Be my guest. You know, I mean, not really, but.
2: You know I know. I mean? Well, we live in a weird world right yes, now. Yes, so that's true. who knows? But
0: what advice would you have for aspiring authors? I mean, I think that
2: <laughs> many authors can, you know, I don't know, phone in and give me advice. I'm happy <laughs> to hear it all. My advice would be just to stick with what you to trust yourself, yeah. trust your instincts. It's a long process. I've been in a couple writing groups where people just, you know, they can't stick it out. Mm-hmm. It's important to try to do that because there's so many bumps on the way to publication. There's so many near misses. There are so many ups and downs, I think, for whatever level you're at. So, I mean, I just believe in your project, have faith in it, and hopefully, you know, trust yourself and it will, it will come out one way or another The project will come to fruition in people's hands. People will come in, which is also really weird when people come into the bookstore and give you feedback. (laughs) I mean. Do they really? Oh. About your book? The other day I was there and someone said I was recommending books. And honestly, I don't. I don't recommend my book because it's kind of weird. Yeah. But it's sitting there. And someone said, oh, and I just finished this. And she pointed to my book. And I was like, (sighs) Did you like it? <laughs> what did you say? Well, it was good. It was good, but it, was, it could have gone either way. You know, they say if you're a lawyer, you shouldn't ask a question you don't know the answer to. Oh, my gosh. To. It's like that
0: show, like Undercover Boss or something. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you should do that. Authors should do that. They could just, although they're mostly undercover anyway, because nobody even
2: knows most Actually, authors. Actually, I think that's a great premise for a show. An author in a bookstore selling their book, listening to feedback.
0: Yeah. It'd be funny. <laughs> We should just actually I should just do it with you. I should just come in and film you doing it one day in Hampton. Uh,
2: it would be hilarious. we should film you. No. <laughs> I was no. thinking the
0: opposite. <laughs> no, I was, you're already doing it. you already work there. It's perfect. That's so funny. So what is your next project?
2: I I I do I've started to really get the research bug and I'm learning to be a little bit more pushy. She just, you know, I didn't initially know. How do you research? How do you do this? Yep. I mean, the Internet is amazing, but there are a lot of other resources. So I'm just looking into a project, also historical fiction, about two sisters, Manhattan women who were alive. Well, They, they were born around 1900 and they lived into their 80s.
0: Interesting. Well, I feel like next time I stumble on like, you know, a pothole with a plaque or something, I'm going to oh, take yeah. a picture
2: and like send it your way. When you go to the Reservoir for my first book and you learn the history of yeah. like the Manhattan Bay, Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so interesting. It's Manhattan Water Company. There was some place recently, I feel like, in
0: East Hampton, and there was a plaque on the wall, and it was oh. just like, you know, so-and-so used to sit here all the time. It's in the parking lot. Do you know what I'm talking I'm going to send you a picture. In the parking lot. I swear. I, maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but there's like this tiny little thing and it's like, so-and-so used to sit here. I'll find it, and I'm going to send you a picture. I mean,
2: you know, Because then you're
0: like, who is this guy? But
2: I think it's true, and I just drove by a new thing that was de Kooning's home, mm. but Everywhere. Everywhere, I I know. Everywhere, everywhere. scrape the surface, and there are so many amazing stories. Yeah, amazing.
0: Thank you, Eve. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Zibi, so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.